0: Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that Your Word is alive. It's a living Word and we can trust in Your Word. We can know, Lord, that You will do all that You say, everything You say. We understand, God, that You say what You mean and You mean what You say. And so tonight, we pray, I pray, for ears of revelation. I pray for an anointing on Your Word and that we get revelation from what you say. Lord, we thank you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. <clears throat> so, have you ever known a perfectionist? In a summer... all know me, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, a perfectionist is someone that has to cross every T and dot every I. Somebody recently said to Tammy, they said, They said, um, she said, do you know what they call me? I said, what? She said, they call me a perfectionist. And I laughed. And she said, what? You think I'm a perfectionist? I'm like, if you don't know, I'm not answering the question. (laughs) (laughs) And So perfectionists, they get bogged down in the details. I mean, so much so that they really can't see the whole product, and they can't really be satisfied until every detail is perfectly performed. I mean, they, have, they, they want all of that done. They're a person who obsesses over the details. If you're a perfectionist, you're wondering, what's wrong with that? If you're not a perfectionist, you're wondering, you, you're thinking, you're a little frustrated with all of that because you're not a perfectionist and you don't get it. And so we understand that excellence is important. Excellence is way important. God is excellent. Everything that he does is excellent. I mean, they looked at Jesus and they were amazed and said, he does all things well. I mean, he was excellent in what he did. So excellence is important, especially what we do for God is important. You know, for a long time as a pastor, I, I realized people had the, 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 the mentality of, well, that's good enough for the church. You know, but God wants it to be excellent. I don't know why the church has to have secondhand carpet and it has to have the cheapest of everything. We need to recognize God wants it excellent. And it can be excellent with secondhand things, but it doesn't have to be secondhand for it to be for the church. We understand that nobody is perfect, right? I mean, we want excellence, but nobody's perfect. The word perfect would be defined as being without fault or without flaw. I mean, uh, several decades ago, uh, jewelers in America described they had a a grading for diamonds and they called them blue-white perfect is what they called them. You may be old enough to, to remember that phrase, blue, white, perfect is what they were called. But there's no such thing as a perfect diamond. Because if you magnify it large enough, you'll find an imperfection. There is no perfect diamond, you'll find a flaw. The term flawless in a diamond is used to describe a diamond that is no, has no visible flaws at 10 power. So if you go to 40 power or 80 power, you're probably gonna find an imperfection, all right? So th- that reveals it. The Federal Trade Commission rules a while back that they can't use the term perfect for a diamond. They can't use it because there is no such thing as one that is perfect, all right? Years ago, I helped a guy, this is many years ago. He was in his 40s. I may have told you the story. He was in his 40s. He had never been married before. He was a dentist. He had never been married before. And he said, he came in, he said, I found the perfect woman. And I said, that's awesome. He said, I want the perfect diamond. I said, well, there's no such thing as a perfect diamond, but I can help you with a D flawless diamond. D is the highest color. There's no, that means it's absolutely colorless and flawless means you cannot see a flaw at 10 power. And so I said, I can find you a D flawless stone. And he said, okay. Well, I want the perfect diamond for the perfect woman. So I got him a D flawless one carat diamond. And then I also got him an E VVS1 diamond, okay? E is a step down in color. VVS1 is a step down in clarity. So I got him this E... In, e uh, VVS1 stone, and so we got him in, we looked at him. He said, they're both beautiful. He said, how much is this one? I told him how much the D flawless one was. He said, well, how much is this one, the EVVS1? And it was substantially less expensive. He looked at the two, and he said, well, you know what? Nobody's perfect. I'll take the EVVS1. Well, the reality is we're not, we're not, we're, we're not flawless. There's only been one man on the face of the earth that's been flawless. And nobody's gonna replicate that. Jesus was flawless. But the Bible says, Jesus said this, he said, "'Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, "'which is in heaven, is perfect.'" Now that sounds impossible. Be ye perfect as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Well, the word perfect here means complete. Mature, something that is ripe. That's what perfection is. We're supposed to become mature. When the Bible says, Be ye perfect, it's talking about becoming mature. It's talking about becoming what we're supposed to be. Hebrews 6 1 says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. We're supposed to be perfect in the sense that we move beyond the basics of Christianity into maturity. God wants us to mature. God loves us exactly the way we are, but he doesn't want to leave us the way we are. He intends for us to mature in our faith. It's not talking about the number of years we've been saved, because I know a lot of people who've been saved a long time, and they're just one year old 40 or 50 times. We're talking about maturing in the Lord, maturing with God. I mean, the maturity level needs to be something that increases all the time. The more I study the Bible, the more I teach the Bible, the more I realize I really don't know about the Bible. The more I get to know God, I realize his ways are, are, are unsearchable because he, is, he truly is flawless and we can all work with Him. We can all let Him work with us. We need to be people of the kingdom to the degree that we allow Him to speak into our lives in any avenue, any place He wants to talk. We need to be perfect in that sense. The Bible says in Matthew five forty-eight. it says, You therefore must be perfect And this is great. This is the Amplified Version. Growing into complete maturity of godliness in mind and character, having reached the proper height of virtue and integrity as your Heavenly Father is perfect. That's what it's talking about. Growing up in Him. The key to perfection is growing. Growing in Christ. Growing in God. This is what I know. I may not be where I'm ultimately headed, but I'm further down the road than I used to be. Because we grow in Christ. We grow in the Lord. The Bible said, Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 12, he said, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. I'm glad he said he wasn't perfect yet. But I follow after, that I may apprehend that for which I'm also apprehended of Christ Jesus. So it's about growing in Christ more and more. How do we do it? Oh, you already know what my answer is going to be. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. <clears throat> so why, why should we be perfect? Why should we grow? Why Why would that be something we'd want to do? Because God loves us and he wants us to succeed in all that he's called us to do. He wants us to become what we're supposed to be. We're made perfect so we can accomplish the good works He's assigned to us. We can't accomplish mature works if we're still a babe in Christ. We've got to mature in the Lord, become what we're supposed to be. I mean, He's given us an assignment. If we'll do that, we'll discover the good life He's promised. Not the easy life necessarily, the good life. Remember, He pronounced a blessing? we talked about this for weeks, upon Adam and Eve, he pronounced it. He never cursed Adam and Eve, he pronounced the blessing, he announced a curse because Adam and Eve violated the Lord's covenant in their disobedience. In Jesus, the Bible says we have the blessing pronounced upon us, it's an empowerment to succeed, to rise to the highest place, and God wants us to walk in that purpose and that place. Jesus took our curse so we can have that blessing. The reason we have that blessing is because God loves us and he wants us to walk in this place he's called us to. Not so that we can not so that we can have it for ourselves but for his kingdom, God desires for us to walk in excellence and perfection for his kingdom and for his glory. Few Christians today recognize the fact that Christianity isn't about the Christian It's about the Christ. You and I were born again because of the Christ, and we serve him with our lives. God wants us to come to the place of maturity so that he can receive the glory from our lives, and it's in that that our life is blessed beyond all that we can ever hope for. The scripture says to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all the things will be added to us. We focus a lot on all the things being added to us, but not a whole lot of time about seeking first the kingdom of God because he is the king. And that's what we're after, the maturity of that. As we're growing, we enter into more and more grace and we're more and more equipped to have and enjoy life according to the scripture in abundance to the full till it overflows. We need to make sure the devil doesn't deceive us. We need to see what happens in our lives from the word's perspective. As we grow, and we grow and come to the place of perfection or maturity. Now, having said that, the rest of this message is going to be about the world we live in, and we're going to mature as we go. I know you all read the news from time to time, as do I. Sometimes we get angry. Is that right? You might as well admit it. I read today. I just read the headline, didn't read the article, didn't have a lot of time but I read the headline that says that the White House is making the declaration that the Black Lives Matter flag will fly over all the nation's embassies across the world, not above the US flag, but below it, but the White House is making that declaration. (coughs) Now that bothers me more than just a little bit. The same administration along with Congress is is aggressively pursuing legislation uh, that would promote the murder of the innocents, the unborn. Aggressively promoting an agenda that would give extra rights to homosexual marriages. Uh, These things bother me, I don't know about you. I have discovered over time that for me to get mad about it doesn't help anybody but the pharmaceutical companies. (laughs) And so, what can we do about it what 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 can Christians do I mean this thing is impossible right Wrong here's what Jesus said this is a verse of scripture it says the guy says to Jesus but if you can do anything do have pity on us and help us what did Jesus say he said you say to me if I can do anything, what? all things are possible to him that believes. Was he talking just about that situation? Or about all situations? He's talking about all th- everything. All things are possible. All things are possible. It is possible for the church to stop this agenda. But we have to believe it. We've been convinced by the media that there's nothing we can do. But gripe about it a little bit and take some blood pressure medication. Jesus said all things are possible to him that believes. What are we saying? God, do something about this. God, do something about this. Jesus said, if I can do something about it, All things are possible to him who believes, right? The question isn't his his willingness or his ability. I mean, I'm sorry. The question is about his willingness, not his ability. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The only question in that verse is whether we believe what he's promised. What do we believe? The impossibility referred to is that which is is that which is in the covenant. If we can find in the scripture, if we can find one verse of scripture where God would turn around a nation, maybe if his people would humble themselves and pray, maybe God would perform his word for those people who believed that. What do you think? Well, see, anything the word promises is possible to the believer, though it may naturally be impossible. It's not impossible with God. So we've got to put this in context with with, with the rest of the word. God is not obligated to do for us what we can do. Okay, let's make sure we understand that. God doesn't do the impossible if it's already possible. So we, we make sure, okay, God, what do I do? What is my part? Am I missing something here? What should I do? So as we believe, we will manifest corresponding action that is proportionate to our faith. If I believe God, I'm going to act like I believe God as I believe him. The big difference between corresponding action, we have to have this corresponding action, faith, not assumption. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people, and you know, I know you've never heard of this, but there are people in the past who've written checks to the church because they have faith that God's going to give them some money. And so they write what they call a faith check. And the faith check sometimes bounces because it's an assumption and not faith. They're trying to have a corresponding action. Oh, God, give me a million dollars so they write a check for 100,000. And they don't have 10. But that's not faith. That's assumption and presumption. And so that's not what I was talking about. Like, you know, I know that when I first got baptized in the Holy Spirit, this guy, he believed that, okay, God healed me so I can see My vision is clear. So he's driving home. He takes his glasses off and throws them out the window and expects God to heal him. Well, he couldn't see very well, and it cost him some money after he ran into the pole. So we have to have faith in what God has said to us. Not presumption, but we not let the devil pressure us into something. But let's make sure we hear God, all right? Jesus is assigning the church in this day to do what is impossible. He's assigned us to reach the world, but in particular, the Church of the United States, he's called us to reach America. He's called us to reach this nation. I mean, we need to understand that. We need to turn our nation right side up from the inside out. We don't need to wait for someone to evangelize us. We need to evangelize our own nation. We understand That in ourselves, the assignment is impossible, but with him, nothing is impossible if we can believe. That's a pretty big statement right there, all right? So we know that if we exercise God-given authority, the natural order of things can be altered, all right? We know that we're people of faith, and we operate in a level of authority that the devil cannot resist. Authority, the authority we operate in is not ours, it's delegated authority that God has given to us by the one who has all authority. Jesus said that he holds the keys of hell and death. Jesus said that he has all authority in heaven and earth. It's his authority that we operate in. So let me read that verse of scripture. Well, a part of that, Jesus said, we read this before, several weeks ago. Jesus said in Luke 10:19, Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means will hurt you. The first time this word power is used in that verse, the Greek word is exousia, which literally means delegated authority. So Jesus is saying, Behold, I delegate authority to you. I'm delegating. It's given to us by Jesus. It must be used on his behalf so in Jesus name we have delegated authority and we have uh, we can tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy all the the, the, the supposed supernatural power of the enemy all right so a while back, I used the, the, the illustration of a policeman when I was talking about authority, how that the policeman stands when he 's directing traffic, the traffic light goes out and you 're at the intersection, they call the policeman, and he directs traffic, he holds his hand up, and cars stop. It amazes me that one man can hold his hand up and a truck will stop because he has authority. It's not his authority. It's been delegated to him by the city, the state, or whoever it is. He has the authority because you stop. Why do you stop? Because he told you to? Yes, partially. But why do you stop? Because you know that if you don't stop, he's got some backup, and he's going to be on the radio, and they're going to come and get you and take care of the situation with you. So he has delegated authority, and with that delegated authority, he can hold I mean, he can hold cars in place. I told you the story one time of a little lady that I saw driving her little Cadillac, and the policeman was directing traffic on, on Good Friday. This was in Amarillo many, many, many years ago. And he's directing traffic on Good Friday, and he's telling her to stop. And she didn't want to stop because she's coming out of Target, and she had other shopping to do, apparently. And so she's pulling out of Target, and he tells her to stop. And she looks mad at him, and she pulls up a little bit. And he blows his whistle and said, stop. Well, she pulled up and she bumped him, he has authority. He walked to the side of her car, he opened her door, she got out of the car, he handcuffed her, and she went to jail because she didn't recognize the authority that he had. Sadly, it was on Good Friday. The courts were closed, the judges were gone. She was in jail until bad Monday. I'm telling you, she couldn't get out of jail because she didn't recognize his authority. All right? And she was, looked like a sweet little old lady, except with the sour look on her face when he was putting the handcuffs on her. But the, he had authority. And, I mean, that car was towed away until somebody towed it off. Uh, I, I'm going to guess she'll never do that again. Let's how we have to deal with the devil. We have authority. Recognize we have the power behind us to back up what we say, what we pray, if what we say and what we pray agrees with the word of God. We need to recognize that. I mean, we need to do that. Ephesians 4, verse 27, you know this verse, says, Neither give place to the devil. Who's it talking to? The subject is you. You don't give place to the devil. Don't give him any place. Our choice and our responsibility is not to give him a place. That means I have to exercise authority in my own heart, in my own life, to not give him a spot. This is pretty good. The word place means spot. Don't give him a single spot. Take authority over him. The Amplified Bible says, give no opportunity to him. I must choose that. That is my choice. All right. Authority is not dependent on how we feel. Well, I don't feel like I have authority. It doesn't matter how you feel. I can't tell you how many times Tammy and I tell that to each other. It doesn't matter what I feel. Jesus said this, Mark 16, verse 19. This is from the Amplified. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven Whatsoever you bind, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth, must be what is already bound in heaven. Whatever you loose, declare lawful on earth, must be what is already loosed in heaven. Jesus is talking about authority over the devil. We have the right to declare certain things lawful or unlawful. Whatever is unlawful in heaven, we can declare it in the earth. Whatever is lawful, we can declare it. He's talking about taking authority over the devil. Notice he's talking about the keys of the kingdom. Does a key to your door, if you use one and not a code, does the key depend on how you feel? No, it doesn't. It works every single time if you use the key. I mean, as long as you can get it in the slot and turn it, it works every single time. The same is true if you drive a car that has a key. Most of us just have push buttons these days, I think. But if you put the key in the slot and turn it, it works every single time, even if you have a headache. (laughs) Even if you don't feel like turning the key, it will work if you turn the key. A key is not dependent upon how you feel. Jesus said, I'm giving you keys of the kingdom. He said, "This is how the kingdom works, folks. This is how my kingdom operates. You have authority in the earth. As long as you're on this planet, the kingdom works. Now we are submitted to the king of a different kingdom, and we have the authority that the king has given us. The keys work no matter how we feel." Jesus said, that, "Well, the Bible says this in Ephesians." It says, and what this is verse 19 and 20. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, talking about God, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand in heavenly places. This is talking about Jesus right here. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. At the right hand of the Father is the is the seat of the authority and power of the whole universe. Would you agree with that? I mean, all the, the seat of power is at the right hand of God, and that is where Jesus is sitting. The next chapter, in verse 6, it says, and he has this long thought here, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where are we seated then? We are seated at the right hand of the seat of authority and power of the universe. That's where we're seated. That's who we are. That's what we are. In fact, I love to read uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, 19 and 20 and then connected to verse 21. I'm going to leave out all the parentheses and all the italicized words in these verses. Here's what it says. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, listen to this, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenlies and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. It's saying that he seated Jesus and he seated us at his own right hand. We have authority. That's an amazing thought. So wait a minute, you mean I have authority over the devil? Yes, you do. I'm glad you asked that particular question. Every bit of authority given to Jesus belongs to you and belongs to me. Jesus said this in Mark 16, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall cast out devils. Do you know that not one single time in the New Testament, the Lord ever told the church to pray That God, the Father, or Jesus would do anything against the devil. Do you know that? The Bible never says, pray that the Lord will stop the devil. The Bible never says, ask Jesus to, to fight the devil for you. It never says, ask the Father to protect me from the devil. Doesn't say that. Not one time. Doesn't say that at all. In fact, it's kind of a waste of your time. The New Testament teaches the believer to do something about the devil. Oh, man, that's good. Why? Because you have the authority to do it. And he has to obey you. When you walk in authority, the church is not to pray to the God, not to the father about the devil, is to exercise the authority that belongs to it. Oh, man, listen to this passage of scripture. This is this is the this is this is the church in the book of Acts chapter four. After they were threatened for healing the guy at the temple and, and, and they, 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 they whipped him and they told him they couldn't don't you dare preach in that name, don't heal anybody else. Here's their prayer. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Listen to what they pray. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. They did did not one time say, Lord, we pray you stop the devil from this attack. (coughs) They didn't pray that. They simply claimed, they prayed the will of God, which is they were to speak boldly and they were to, 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 to minister healing to other people. And it says, it says that they got more bold. In fact, it later on goes to say that, that, that the apostles gave great witness of the resurrection with signs and wonders. In fact, they prayed for exactly what the, the Jewish leaders told them not to do. They prayed for more of it. Because they didn't, they didn't have to bind the devil. They had to release the Spirit of God in their own lives. That's what we need. We need the Spirit of God to be released in our lives for the, for the good of this nation. They didn't pray about the devil. They simply prayed the will of God. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. doesn't say, ask the Lord to resist the devil and he'll flee from him. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. We must resist. The authority is ours, whether we feel like it or not, we've got it. The authority has nothing to do with how I feel, has nothing to do with with, with anything around me. I simply exercise the authority. Well, I don't feel very authoritative today. It doesn't matter. It's not based on what you feel. It's based on what you know. Faith isn't about how I feel. Faith is what do I know that the Word of God says. And you know this verse, the Bible says, be sober. This is from the American Standard. Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion. Walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist, I'm sorry, whom withstand steadfast in your faith, knowing that the same sufferings are accomplished in your brethren who are in the world. Withstand in your faith, in your faith. You've got to believe what the word of God says. Christians in this nation, we must believe what the Bible says. We must stand for the covenant that our forefathers made with God in the very beginning of this nation. We must stand with him. We have the authority to stand by it. The Bible says in Romans 5, 17, for by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which have received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Now, doesn't that sound like us, right? We've received the gift of grace. And we've received the gift of righteousness, the abundance of grace, the gift of righteousness, as they, will, they shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. We reign in life by one Christ Jesus. We reign in life. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the King of kings. Who are the kings he's the king of? You ever thought about that one? You and I, we're the kings. We're the king. He's the, he's the king of kings. We're the kings. We reign in life by one Christ Jesus. Yeah, but I thought it meant the kings of all those countries. They're not in the kingdom of God. Now, their knees are going to bow. Their tongues are going to confess. We reign in life as kings. How do, how do kings reign? They decree it. They make the declaration. They believe they have the authority to take it about We reign in life by making the declaration. Authority is ours. If we take it, we must take authority over the devil. I believe we can win our nation back if we understand what I just said. I mean, the victory is ours for the taking when that becomes the revelation of our heart. We have authority because he loves us. Okay, now, when you have authority... You know you have it because you comprehend his love, but you also expect it to work. Here's the kicker right here. Many Christians know about authority in their heads, but don't really expect it to work. How do I know that? I hear him talk all the time. Operating in authority over the devil is only theory. We have to understand we have it. If you, if you ask most Christians, they believe they have authority over sickness, over demon power, over all that stuff. They'd say, "Well, I certainly hope so." <laughs> no, you gotta know so. You gotta know. You gotta know. I remember one time. I probably told you this story too. I was in Saltillo, Mexico. I'm having lunch at this place called Tacos Pastor. Means goat tacos is what it's talking about. So we're having goat tacos for lunch. They were way good. We're having lunch, and we're there in this city to minister at a crusade that night. I'm sitting at a table with my interpreter, and uh, the Holy Spirit said, "Now do it." And I'm thinking, "Do what?" Well, I knew I knew what He wanted me to do, because I walked as we walked to this restaurant there's a town square right there. And I knew that I I saw myself preaching in that town square when I got out of the car. And so he said, now do it. So I said to the interpreter, I said, let's go. He said, where are we going? I said, we're gonna go preach on the square. He said, okay. So we go out there and we preach on the square and I'm preaching about Jesus, the savior, but I'm also preaching about Jesus, the healer. And I, Sometimes I hear the Lord quickly, sometimes not so quickly. But I knew the Lord had told me before this time to say, the same Jesus, no, no, he told me to say, Jesus, if you are sick today, Jesus is the healer. And if he will not heal you, then we are liars. Oh. I'd already heard I'd already heard the Holy Spirit tell me this. So, so the interpreter looks at me and he goes, huh? I said, just say it. Just like I said it. And so he said that. And so I said, if you need healing in your body, I want you to come to me now. This man walked up. Listen, you better know you have authority at this moment. This man walks up in a crutch, and he's walking up to me. And he got to me, and it was a cane, not a crutch. He got to me, and he said, I want that. I said, then you'll get it. So we prayed for him. And as soon as we finished praying, I said, stomp your foot. He stomped his foot and his eyes got big. He said, where did the pain go? I said, he took it from you. And that guy started jumping around. And he was dancing because Jesus healed him. So there's a, like six or eight tough-looking, gang-looking guys on this, on this uh, brick wall. They're sitting on it. And I said, and I said to them, this same Jesus who just healed this man will forgive you of your sins because he's the healer and the savior. How many want that? And every one of those tough guys raised their hands. But I knew when the Lord told me what to do that I had the authority to say it. But we have to know we have authority, not hope we have authority. Now the interpreter said when we finished, he said, I sure was hoping you knew what you were doing. (laughs) And I said, I wasn't hoping because the Lord told me to do it. And if he told me to do it, then it's his responsibility. We have to know that, that if we're in faith, we need to be expecting God to do what he said he would do. We must expect God to perform the promise when we demand that the devil flee and understand he will indeed flee. Not hoping it might work, it's not a theory. If we have faith, too many Christians are just a hoping and a praying. The things will work out for good when they aren't expecting it at all. We need to have faith. We need to have faith. Every now and then I say this. We Tammy and I have some big news. We're expecting. We're very excited. It's right around the corner. Oh, you think I'm talking about her being pregnant? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the promises of God. I'm talking about the things that God has told us that we can possess for his kingdom. I mean, we, we need to stay in faith. I mean, it's showing more and more all the time if we stand in the authority that we have. I mean, we are pregnant with anticipation of what God said he would do for our nation, for our city, for the people of God. We need to understand, I mean, true expectation behaves different than just hoping. I mean, I remember when when she was pregnant with our first daughter, I mean, we were so excited, but you couldn't see anything. In fact, it was a while before we saw anything. In fact, it got worse before it got better because she was sick and all the things that happened, but we were expecting something. Sometimes we need to stay in the place of authority even when what we see doesn't agree with what we say. We need to, instead of hoping it might work, begging Jesus to stop the devil, we need to be stopping him every time he puts the thought in our head, every time he challenges us with what we see versus what we know in our spirit. We've got to stand there. God loves us. He's good all the time. He expects us to operate in the realm of the spirit as people of authority. We are his ambassadors in this earth. We are the ones he's going to talk to and talk through. We must expect him to always honor his word, even when it doesn't come to pass immediately. Instead of getting mad at the president and all that, why don't we just bind the devil instead? We have that right. I mean, Jesus walked by a fig tree, cursed it. And walked to town. It wasn't until the next day that they came by it. And Peter's like, golly, Jesus. <laughs> that tree right there. And that's when Jesus said, believe what you say. And you do more than what's been done to this big tree. You'll say to the mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast in the midst of the sea. And it will obey you because you believe what you said. Because we have authority in what he said. We Listen, the devil The demons don't know the difference between you speaking the word and Jesus speaking the word. Well, he'll try to say, Oh, that's just you. That's not Jesus. And you're going to say, No, no. In Jesus' name. He gave me the authority to do this. He loved you. He gave you authority to call on his miraculous provision to overcome the natural and see the supernatural. Our nation needs a miracle. It needs a miracle. And guess what? He is the God of miracles. And you and I are the carriers of those miracles. We have the right to speak in His name. He gave us that authority. He gave it to us. The Bible says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. We've got to expect it. He says, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. If I expect it of Him. I need to expect it. It's, the psalmist, and then then, then, then Paul quoted later, and said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We've got to expect it. We've got to believe to see it. We've got to believe that, we're, that it's going to come to pass as surely as we're sitting in this room. David expected to be delivered. That's why he said those words. True belief provides supernatural expectation. Supernatural. I love what what Paul said. This is in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. He says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation. He's talking about being in prison. That's what he's talking about. I know this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope. That's something. That in nothing shall I be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also in Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. He said, I'm expecting the gospel that I preach to get bigger and bigger. He's in prison, but he has this, this, this earnest expectation. See, because some people were preaching to get Paul in more trouble. Some were emboldened by his faith, but he knows the word's getting out. The, word earnest, the phrase earnest expectation means intense anticipation. Paul had intense anticipation that the promise of God is true and would be made manifest. I like it when he says, I like part of this. It says, says, uh, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing shall I be ashamed, that with all boldness, as always, always, he said you can always believe God, as always. One of the main ingredients that's missing from the body of Christ is expectation. We're not expecting anything. We're not expecting anything big. Oh, yeah, maybe Jesus will heal somebody with a headache. But will He deliver a nation? Oh, yeah, maybe we're expecting 20 or 30 people to get born again. That's a big deal, by the way. But will He save a nation? We're not expecting anything. I mean, people go to church. Don't really expect much, do we? I mean, the music starts. Nothing's expected. And then when they don't feel anything at the end of the service... It's because the leader wasn't anointed. Because they're not expecting anything. Our expectation is paramount in the operation of faith and the reception of God's grace. We must expect it to happen. I love the story of of the lame man at the beautiful gate. He expected something. It says that he gave heed unto them. Talking about Peter. He gave heed unto them expecting expecting, expecting to receive something of them. He expected something. He asked him for silver and gold. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He was expecting to get something. He got something he wasn't expecting, but he was expecting to get something. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength, and he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. I mean, expect, he was expecting something. I'll never forget a night in, in May of 1973 when I went to hear a lady named Catherine Coolman, And I was just a little Baptist boy, I guess a big Baptist boy by that time. And all I knew about her was she was a bad TV preacher, I thought. <laughs> but when I got there, I've told you this story. My friend told me we had to go at 3.30 in order to get in. I'm like, are you kidding me? I went, I mean, I didn't go that early to hear any preacher, but he said, we've got to go at 3.30 to get in. And so I went. By that time, there were already 100 people there or so. Mm-hmm. But what I did, what I saw, there were people that were there already. They're singing songs, but there was a look in their eyes. They were expecting something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't expecting anything. I got something, and I I didn't expect it, but, I mean, the look, there was an expectation that made those two or three hours before the doors opened seem like but a few minutes because these people were expecting something. They were expecting something big, and they got it. I mean, God rested on the seventh day because he expects us to operate in authority in the earth expects us to operate in this blessing that causes us to rise to the highest place of his calling, to utilize his authority along the way. I mean, God gave man everything he ever needed in Genesis chapter one. He gave him seed and authority, and that's what he needed. That's what he promised him. So we expect the blessing on the inside of us to produce the will of God. We sow our seed in faith, Words of authority and we expect it to come to pass. We expect it to come to pass. I mean, there's a huge difference between, well, I hope so. And I know so. I mean, the Bible says in Romans 8, 24, we're saved by hope. (laughs) That's interesting because it also says we're saved by grace. Okay. But the word hope doesn't mean to wish. We're not. Listen, to hope so is to wish for. The word hope there means intense, extreme expectation. Deliverance comes to us. That's what the word sozo, or the Greek word for, for saved. It means rescue, delivered, make whole, make well. We need deliverance. We're saved by hope. Expectation. Extreme expectation. We sing that song, My Hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness. I have extreme expectation that what he's promised he will do as I believe him. As we stand on what he promises, man, we we need to expect to say, when we say, I bind you, Satan, that he has to go. Because we have the authority, not assume it, but because we believe what God has promised us. You have authority. You have authority. But you've got to operate it by faith, by believing what God's promised, just like the policeman when he holds up his hand. If you understand that, I'll tell you, we can turn the nation around. We can believe the word. We can stand on it. We have the authority. Let's expect it to work for us. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you in Jesus' name. I thank you for the authority of the believer. I thank you, Father, that For too long, we've allowed the devil, the naysayers, to rule our society. Let us stand in authority in Jesus' name. Let's expect, Lord, we choose to expect your word to be true every single time. Whether we see it or don't, we know that it works. And we know that it is manifest as we stand with it. We thank you for that tonight, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.